Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, nothing I'm about to say is in any way a denial of the horrors that are being visited upon the people of Aleppo. Ask Gary Johnson what it is. Any more than the news organizations that are ignoring what's going on in Yemen and the ethnic cleansing in Burma are denying the horrors over there. They're just not reporting them, but in any case, we hear in the uh, reports on CNN, in the New York Times, and other non-fake news media, reports being attributed, reports of the humanitarian disaster in Aleppo being attributed to opposition activists. That was the phrase I heard on CNN, most particularly. And it prompted me, because I'm a question-asking type of cuss, to ask, who's the opposition in Syria? I remember way back in uh, 2012, 2013, when the reporting on this started, in the United States at least, we were told that the majority of the opposition of the rebels in Syria were either soldiers with the al-Nusra Front, as it was known then, which was called an affiliate of al-Qaeda, or soldiers of ISIS. A, a, a general from the Pentagon, testif- best place f- for a general to be, testified before a congressional committee a year and a half ago or so that the United States program to train up moderate rebels succeeded in finding and training a total of five of them. Uh, Patrick Coburn, in the independent newspaper in London, reports that the situation in uh, Aleppo, at least, has gotten less conducive to moderates sticking around because both sides want them dead. So they've either left or been killed. So who is the opposition? Who are the rebels? Just asking. It's it's a year where we've been um, convinced that if you just focus on one country, like Syria, and ignore Yemen or Burma, the impulse to do something is almost equivalent to the war fever that was whipped up in 2000 two when we were adjured to just pay attention to Iraq while Pakistan was harboring terrorists, invading its neighbor, and building up a storehouse of WMDs. Just widen the lens a little bit, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's the suggestion of this week's edition of Hello, Welcome to the Show and 2016, the year in rebuke. This was a year we realized by the time that the political conventions had nominated their two major party candidates that it was going to be, uh, forget about the issues, it was going to be a debate 
between her probity and his sanity. Uh, on the latter, I turned to the best authority I could find. Today, he says he'll always tell the truth. She says her father is the most truthful man she knows. Where does the truth lie, and why? That's what God and Oprah put me here to find out. I'm an all-new Dr. Bill. Five. Am I Dr. Bill? Four. This whole show is a trigger warning. Three. Have a good show, Dr. Bill. Two. Today, we're going to kick Ellen's ass. One. Dr. Bill. Dr. Bill. Thank you. You know, ever since I turned in my license to practice, I've been amazed by how many people are doing what I do here every day, diagnosing the personality disorders of people they've never met. Today, we're going to kick that habit. I know this man. I've met this man. I've watched him for the last 14 months. And I've thought, there's somebody I'd like to get into the Dr. Bill house for a couple of months of what I call deep coaching. Well, that's not happening yet, but we've got the next best thing today. He's here in the Dr. Billatorium for a one-on-one -on -one with the only other person I know of who's on this stage. Please welcome Donald J. Trump. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Don, can I call you Don? Um... My supporters call me Mr. Trump. I think I'm going to call you Don. Yeah. It's your show. Mm. On The Apprentice, you'd call me Mr. Trump. And by the way, on our weakest, absolutely weakest episode, our ratings were so much bigger than yours. It's a joke. But go ahead. I appreciate the first and last parts of that. <laughs> uh, but let's get right down to it. Great. By the way, as my people told you, I'm not coming to the Dr. Bill house. I've got a little too much on my plate at the moment. Well, but you are more than welcome to stay at Trump Tower. So many people say it's more fabulous than ever. Really? Well, let's see if that offer still stands at the end of this program. <laughs> okay. Don, Don, do you think you were a narcissist? Honestly, Dr. Bill, how the hell would I know? To, I mean, to tell you the truth, I'm too busy being me to worry about of who or what me may turn out to well, be. But here's what I do know. Millions of mm -hmm. people like me, I have friends all over the world that I never even talked to. Time Magazine had me on their cover so often people come up to me, they're surprised they're not seeing the word time in big letters on my forehead. I don't think we've ever seen your forehead. Well, it's, it's there, believe me. Well, so, you tell me, does that sound like a narcissist? I mean, it sounds like a really nice person. Really nice. I mean, a lot of people tell me I'm the nicest person they've ever worked for. So... <laughs> Oh, okay. I want you to look straight at I want you to look straight at me when I ask you this question. It so happens that's my bad side of the camera, but okay. Fine. Do you think your father liked you? You know, to tell you the truth, I think he liked me very much. I think he would have given me a very big okay sign to what I'm doing now, and I know he liked that suite at the Trump Tower that I'm reserving for you. It's an interesting thing. My father stayed in that suite once. He absolutely loved it. He said it reminded him of Switzerland, or at least the pictures he'd seen of Switzerland. I don't think he ever went there personally. But, All right, you said uh, to Christian media, mm -hmm. you never felt the need to apologize or seek forgiveness from God. You told a radio shock jock you like to not feel regret. Do you feel like you're less of a person if you feel the need to say, I'm sorry? Uh, 
I expressed regret this very week. Many people said they'd never heard regret expressed that well. Okay, we're going to do a little thing here. Okay. I'm going to ask you to say that you're sorry for one thing you've done in your life, right here on daytime television in front of all these highly medicated women. Okay. You know something? To tell you the truth, I think you feel that you trapped me or tricked me or something, which is why I've never been to a shrink, because a lot of people tell me that's their shtick. Is it kind Mr. Of Mr. Mr. Trump, I don't have a shtick, and I'm not a shrink. I'm just like you. I'm just here to fill airtime between commercials. <laughs> okay, F- fair enough. But I have a surprise for you, Dr. Bill. Mm-hmm. I can tell you right now something I'm very sorry about, that I feel great regret about, and I think a lot of people who hear this will agree with me. Well, the microphone is yours. Actually, it belongs to my syndicator, but you know what I mean. Go ahead. I, Donald J. Trump, am very, very sorry that along with some key advisors of mine, I made the decision to come on the Dr. Bill show today. Well, well now, I'm not sorry because I think we're just beginning to break through that shell of yours. I'll tell you why you're not sorry, because your ratings went way up today. That's true, Ralph. My ratings always go up on Mondays. Huh? But let, let's get back to you. You like owing money to other people, don't you? It makes you feel more important knowing that some really big bank is on the hook with you for more than a few million dollars. You know, that's a very interesting question. And you know what? Here's the thing. A very smart person once said, you owe the bank $1,000, they own you. You owe the bank $5 million, you own them. So no, it doesn't make me feel more important. It's just that like that smart person said, now I've got the power. That I like. I was the king of debt. I still am, as a matter of fact. Well, you like the power of saying you're fired. <laughs> Let me tell you something that a lot of people don't know. That line, hmm. that's not a line I even came up with. In fact, to tell you the truth, here's the thing. Hmm. That line, Mark Burnett, the TV producer mm-hmm. the, who, who made the, the Apprentice yes, show, sir. he came up with that line. He said to me, this was at the first dress rehearsal. He told me straight out. He said, you say you're fired every week. You're going to be the biggest star on primetime television. You know, believe me. Look, Mr. Trump, I don't come up with half the things I say on television, but I still mean them. Now, you know, I'm going to say this one more time. I think the only way you can actually stop and take the opportunity to face some truths about yourself is to commit to a couple of weeks at the Dr. Bill House. You might want to come in October. We're having a major intervention week with the mother of Honey Boo Boo, a Kardashian nephew, and Richard Hatch, the first winner survivor. We're filming the whole time for a reality series so you can make some progress with your problems and still be on TV. See? That's what I'm saying. Dr. Bill, I'm going to tell you that I'll think about it, but my people tell me I can't take two weeks out from my campaign. And I'm telling you it could be the best two weeks your campaign has ever had. (laughs) I've had some great weeks. But uh, you you think about it and and let me know. Tomorrow a mother comes face-to-face with a daughter who tried to kill her for drugs. Until then, now that you found it, try not to lose it. (laughs) Bye-bye. The Dr. Bill Show is a Make a Big Production Out of It production. Speaking of big productions, 2016, in case you didn't notice, was an Olympic year. So now more news of the Olympic movement. 
produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. Yes, now there's something new in the Olympic movement. It's moving. The Olympic Channel, home of Team USA, is a joint venture with the International and U.S. Olympic Committees and will air year-round Olympic programming from around the world with a focus on American athletes and teams. Aside from live events, the network will also include Olympic-themed original programming and archive footage. For the most part, advertising opportunities on the Olympic Channel will be limited to top global IOC sponsors as well as Team USA sponsors, according to the president of NBC Olympics. But there will be some limited opportunities in coverage of specific events that have their own sponsors. Isn't that nice? At launch, the Olympic Channel will be available to direct TV subscribers. Reason enough. NBC will negotiate carriage agreements with pay TV operators as their NBCU package deals expire. The network will be a completely new channel, not a rebrand of an existing network. It comes following lackluster TV ratings during the 2016 Summer Olympic Games in Rio. A 15% decline from the 2012 Summer Games. The biggest issue was a noticeable absence of millennials. This will fix that. They'll have their own channel. Rio did generate $250 million in profit, making it the most economically successful Olympics in history, so who cares if anybody watched? Advertisers were satisfied with NBC's make-good efforts since it missed its ratings guarantees. Regardless of viewership erosion, the Olympics still offer advertisers massive reach. The IOC itself bowed a digital Olympic channel in August following the closing of the Summer Games. And this isn't the first time NBCU has tried its hand at a version of an Olympic sports channel. The company had a stake in Universal Sports Network, which covered events like gymnastics, swimming, and skiing. Universal Sports Network folded last year. But it's digital. No harm in trying again. An Olympic sports channel, ladies and gentlemen. Because you didn't watch enough Olympics. We'll fix that. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. Now, news of AFPAC. Uh, which leads into a highlight from this past year. A set of giant security gates financed by China and intended to protect Kabul... Afghanistan from large bombs and drug smuggling lies stored in a warehouse more than five months after they arrived. Afghan authorities bicker over who should install them. They've been delayed by infighting between departments and by a land dispute underlining the difficulty of getting things done in a country where conflict and corruption have slowed progress, according to Reuters. The gates would reinforce the so-called ring of steel that surrounds Kabul, a city of five million. Think of it. Gates have uh, control rooms and surveillance scanners to enhance inspection of vehicles. Provided by China, as I say, civilian deaths are rising across the country as Afghan Taliban insurgents continue their fight to topple the Western-backed government, while an offshoot of Islamic State has claimed responsibility for several attacks in the past year. Says an Interior Ministry official, 
The ministry's different departments are sadly incapable of setting the new gates up, and Kabul police is delaying them for no reason. Unquote. Aside from that, everything is fine. Sorting out exactly who's responsible for what in Kabul has proved a challenge, according to uh, Reuters. So, China is involved because it fears an Islamist insurgency may be stoked by fighters from Pakistan and Afghanistan. Major investment plans in the mining sector by China have been held back by deteriorating security. China, welcome to the club. It's business as usual this year. 2016. The Year in Rebuke. From Afghanistan Public Radio, where the pledge drive never ends. From the abandoned American television truck in downtown Kabul, the city's so nice they named it. <laughs> I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. We're Pluck and Schmuck, the Hanging On Brothers. Here's Karzai Talk. Today's program comes to you with the aid of Afghan Express, when you absolutely have to have it eventually. <laughs> well, today, my younger brother, mm. we will return after a brief vacation. What did you do while you were gone? Well, the security situation being what it is, mm. the plan for a fishing trip in the country had to be put in on the shelf. Along with the fish. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just stayed home and sold a couple of Camrys to visiting reporters. Mm, that's very impressive. What, did I sold some Camrys? No, that reporters are still visiting. <laughs> <laughs> well, surely one visited you to write that admiring feature story in the New York Times magazine. <laughs> yes, well, the PR man, my cousin Jimmy Karzai, mm. set that uh, whole thing up. Good pictures, don't you think? The green robe never looked. Greener. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but it does make me wonder why we decide to take vacations during the fighting season. Oh, makes perfect sense to me. Oh, why is that, dear brother? That's when the hotels offer the best discounts. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them pay you to stay there. <laughs> of course. It's cheaper than hiring good security guards. <laughs> Hello, you're on cars, I talk. Hello, this is Abdullah Abdullah, long-time power sharer, first-time caller. Oh, hello, hello, Abdullah Abdullah. How are you? How are you? That's enough, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, my friend, to what do we owe the pleasure of your phoning in to us? Aside from the fact that your partner, President Hani, probably won't take your call. <laughs> uh, it was a minor technical problem. Oh. His phone wasn't programmed to take calls from equals. <laughs> Uh, but seriously, Hamid, mm -hmm. I'm uh, calling because I couldn't get an appointment to visit you in person. Oh, that's understandable, double A. Since that story appeared, my brother has been the hottest ticket in town since Kanye West entertained the troops. <laughs> <laughs> that never happened. It still could. <laughs> <laughs> so do I gather, dear Abdullah, that your newly created role as chief executive is not turning out to be all it was advertised to be? Let me put it this way. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, I have the title of chief executive. Mm -hmm. 
the powers of Prime Minister mm -hmm. and the office of Pizza Hut franchisee. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have more room in the Toyota Land Cruiser. Will you stop selling? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as I read the situation, Abdullah... Uh, excuse me, uh, are you calling him by his first name or his last name? Yes. <laughs> As I read the situation, with the new intensity of fighting against the insurgency, this should be the moment when President Hani and you are working hand in glove. Or at least hand in pocket. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, a, a cogent assessment of the situation. Unfortunately, President Hani sees me not so much as a colleague, but more as an enemy, mm. a, a sort of uh, Taliban light. Mm. The Taliban light, by the way, is standard equipment on some of the new Tundras. No more selling! So, my dear caller, uh -huh. do you have a question for us since we are authority figures in exile at home? <laughs> I, I do indeed, Hamid. Uh. I would have asked you this in my private visit, as I've been able to obtain one, but uh -huh. yes, is there any way you can make your services available to heal the rift between me and my supposed partner in leading this supposed government? Hmm, my friend, I think my role at the moment is limited to remaining on the sidelines as a sympathetic, interested observer. Meaning you can't ride to the rescue if you are part of the mess. <laughs> well, <that's, laughs> well, I understand, and I'm sorry, mm -hmm. but I'm grateful too. Grateful. Oh, yes, that I didn't have to dress up for the personal visit. Mm. As it happens, I work in my shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call. Too much information. What, about the infighting between him and President Hani? No, about the shorts. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to drink an extra pomegranate martini to get that image out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's tonight's excuse. <laughs> Hello, you're on cars, I talk. Hello, I'm General Nicholson, long-time commander of Operation Resolute Sport, first-time caller. Wow, we're getting a higher level of caller today. Mm -hmm. Must be because we're offering a higher level of tote bag. <laughs> <laughs> So, General, yes, you must have your hands pretty full right about now. Uh, no, sir, I'm on speakerphone. I, I think my brother meant with the war and everything. Uh, right, yes, sir. Of course, we're in the heart of uh, fighting season right now. As you can imagine, that poses a, an additional challenge to our operation. Pardon me, General, but I thought the fighting was the challenge to the operation. Yes, sir. In a very real sense, it is, sir. Well, there's no sense like a real sense. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Can't argue with you there. General, we're running short on time. The new version of Hindu Kush Companion is coming on next. Mm. So if you have a question... Well, sir, well, I, I was kind of wondering why that show was still on the air. But uh, <laughs> no, sir, the, the reason I was calling was, mm -hmm. as you know, sir, we're back engaged in Kunduz. Mm -hmm. An area we cleared of enemy control just about ten months ago. Oh, they'd get better clearing from Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. That's a good one, sir. <laughs> and, of course, as uh, we add some of our personnel to the mission, uh, we find ourselves having to transport the personnel back into the city proper to uh, bolster its defenses. Mm, it sounds like a plan. <laughs> it just happens that uh, as we were reacquainting ourselves with the geography of the Kunduz area, mm -hmm. It uh, turns out our maps seem to have uh, gone missing. I'm just wondering if uh, if you know, as uh, you drive the airport road north, mm -hmm. uh, it's a right or a left to get into the city center. 
Uh, as I remember, it's all right. Uh, but right. Uh, General, mm-hmm. Google Maps could confirm that in a heartbeat. Yes, sir. Uh, our internet is down and our phones are still working, so that's why I call. Well, if you stay on the line for another hour and give at least ten Afghans, the Kabul Starbucks will match your pledge. The offer doesn't apply if the Starbucks has been bombed. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, sir, we have a staff meeting coming up, so I do have to input your information into the uh, staff process. Oh, that sounds painful. <laughs> Thanks for the call. We had help today from the Afghan Chamber of Commerce, reminding you that the business of Afghanistan is to make something and sell something and take the money and invest it in something else. Legal services for cars I talk from the law firm of Ketchum and Newcomb. I'm Mahmoud. I'm Hamid. Join us again next time for another non-rerun edition of Cars I Talk. Or join us when it gets rerun. This is APR, Afghanistan Public Radio. This year, of course, was pockmarked by Donald Trump's campaign technique of holding mass rallies. He spent remarkably little money on unconventional campaign advertising to the delight and astonishment of his opposition. And uh, the political pundits kept pointing to his uh, increasingly large crowds as really no no indication of anything that could would count come election day um, great controversy erupted of course when uh, news networks like CNN <laughs> news networks uh, would cover these rallies live uninterrupted um, even to the point of covering an empty podium or empty lectern excuse me uh, before Trump arrived putting that image on the screen for half an hour or 45 minutes because it was so newsworthy. My favorite uh, moment during uh, one of these rallies is uh, memorialized here. I don't like mosquitoes! I don't like mosquitoes! I don't want mosquitoes around me. I don't like mosquitoes. I don't like mosquitoes. I don't like those mosquitoes. I never did. Okay. 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 I never did. I don't want mosquitoes around me. I don't want mosquitoes around me. I don't want mosquitoes around me. I don't like mosquitoes. There was a mosquito. I don't like mosquitoes. Skeet, 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 mosquitoes. Well, I don't want mosquitoes around me. I don't like mosquitoes. From Southern California, this is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, time for me to take a moment out from reviewing the year to, re- to read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. First, from current trade publication of public broadcasting. NPR gets failing grade for website security. Please give. I'll read it for you. Please, please give. NPR is among numerous media websites that received low marks in a study of website security. 
In a report from the Freedom of Press Foundation, nearly half of 105 media outlets got a failing grade for relative lack of HTTPS encryption on their websites. ProPublica received one of the highest grades. According to the Freedom of the Press Foundation, news sites should use HTTPS, the S is for secure, encryption because it protects the privacy and security of both its readers and journalists from a variety of malicious actors. Actors aren't malicious. They're just very self-aware. HTTPS can also act as an important anti-censorship tool against authoritarian regimes, according to the FPF. When a web user visits an HTTPS-secured site, their browser will show a lock next to the URL. On sites using only the traditional HTTP, attackers can potentially see the search terms or articles you are reading, spy on your username and password, or spoof a website to steal your personal information. Unencrypted traffic is also easier to filter and block, allowing for selective censorship of articles subject to specific reporters or outlets by authoritarian governments. NPR's director of web and engagement told Current, NPR plans to jump up this list in 2017. We're narrowing down the pieces we need in place to throw the bigger switches, he said. Please give for bigger switches. From Advertising Age, Facebook has reported yet another glitch in the data it gives publishers and marketers to understand their activity on the social network. This time, Facebook found a problem that gave some publishers inaccurate traffic numbers, underestimating iPhone audiences on certain posts, according to a blog post from Facebook. We've since identified this is a result of a recent Facebook update that impacted. Wow, sounds like a wisdom, wisdom tooth. Instant articles are multimedia posts that publishers use to give readers a faster experience because they load quickly. The trade-off being readers get the full stories without leaving Facebook and visiting publishers' own sites. So they sit right next to the fake news. Publishers can sell ads into instant articles, though, and rely on the traffic numbers in deals with advertisers. The traffic numbers meaning the number of eyeballs that Facebook delivers to those publishers. It does really stink that so much stuff may be wrong, said one publishing executive. We made a lot of bets investments based on what we thought the audience clicked on most of our pages. Now all that may be skewed, unquote. He said skewed. Still, agencies are in the position of having to calm, ad agencies are in the position of having to calm concerned clients. So it's not just fake news, it's fake numbers. It's fake book. And also from Mad Age, ads have already come to the so-called Internet of Things. The trade organization Interactive Advertising Bureau surveyed consumers about IoT devices, found that 62% of people who own any have already seen an ad on one. The concept of advertising in the emerging Internet of Things realm should not surprise anyone. And while today's messages may be the equivalent of house ads in which, say, a product maker promotes its own offerings, their existence portends a future in which third parties get in on the action. These are devices like health trackers, smart TVs, or web-connected eyeglasses. That will mean data tracking, collection, and sharing will extend beyond our computers and phones to the wristwatches measuring our footsteps, the refrigerators monitoring our milk supply, the food packages that know how long they've been in our pantries and vehicles that track 
are driving behavior. The marketing and advertising techniques emerging in the health and wearables arena call for an ethical and policy agenda that will ensure fair practices, as a report from American University and the Center for Digital Democracy. Today's digital practices have outpaced federal safeguards, calling for much more proactive research on contemporary market trends and closer scrutiny of emerging practices, the report said. You're watching your watch. Why shouldn't your watch watch you? A pertinent question when I read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Perhaps the biggest media story of the year was the ouster of Roger Ailes, who ran the Fox News Channel since he created it under the ages of Rupert Murdoch 20 years ago. As a matter of fact, they were celebrating their 20th anniversary just as this story imploded. The story, of course, was that according to several of the women who worked for him, Murdoch, sorry, uh, Ailes was a serial sexual harasser, if not abuser. After uh, disposing of Ailes in a sudden putsch, Rupert Murdoch took control of Fox News Channel himself while his sons took control of the parent company. 2016, the year in rebuke. This week, I'm keeping up with the Murdochs at the office. We think enough stuff's in place, Dad. Uh, I, I think you can sit down. is a mile away from his desk. Well, I, I think he liked to stand at his desk. <laughs> I think he was a big fat sow. Very valuable big fat sow, of course. In the studio. In three, two. I'm Chris Wallace. On Fox News Sunday. Chris. Is... Chris. Uh, yes, sir. Can you sound a little happier about being Chris Wallace? Uh, happier? You look, uh, I don't know, very down, very unfox energy. Uh, I'm sorry, sir. I I love that man. That's a hold. We all love him. I, I'm just hoping I can stay here. Oh, we love you. Oh, okay, but... You haven't been giving any of the Sheilas around here the toy eye, have you? <laughs> I, I don't think so. All right. We'll just sign a little thing. You'll be fine. At the lawyers. And my client is willing to make himself available to you for advice. On an as-needed basis. Oh, that's great. I don't expect to be needing it. Dad, I, I think that's just a face saver. Otherwise, we're just paying them $40 million to go away. James, if I've taught you anything, it's, I hope it's that nobody's advice is worth $40 million. If I may, sir, I think that's the price for what he won't do. Right. Fine. We'll just close down a couple of the foreign bureaus. We'd have to open some first. This week, the father in TV's most powerful reality show takes control of cable's number one channel. And the number one son takes control of him. Oh, what, what? do you mean? What? I can do O'Reilly's job. Yeah. Our talking point tonight on the factory. The, fa the factor. What the hell does that mean? Father, sons, a wife in France where our cameras couldn't go. It's hotter than July when you're keeping up with the Murdochs. This week, anywhere but Fox. There were three presidential debates 
this fall, and one presidential foreign policy forum, so-called, which uh, received a lot of criticism for the quality of its questions. That, of course, was a problem that was rather easily solved. This is the second and final town hall-style National Security Forum between this year's two presidential candidates, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. I'm Larry King, and we're here at a more neutral location for this event. No connection with any foreign government. The George H.W. Bush Auditorium in Langley, Virginia. Welcome to both our participants and to you watching or listening. Wherever Carlos Slim could get this picked up, by the way, he also owns the best deli in Mexico City. But on to the forum. And at the insistence of both candidates, although they're here in the same secure facility, they're in separate studios. So as not to take all the steam out of the upcoming face-to-face debates. Welcome, Secretary Clinton. Thank you, Larry. And thank you for organizing this on such short notice. Hey, had nothing else to do. <laughs> Mr. Trump, welcome back to you. Thanks, Larry. And... Uh... Seeing the cameras and the lights here this time, I'm, I'm guessing we're not on your podcast. <laughs> They're with me all the time, just in case. First question in our National Security Forum. Mr. Trump, mm-hmm. who was the best James Bond? Larry, honestly, here's the thing. You and I are old enough. We grew up with Sean Connery as James Bond. He was the best. He had the suits. He had the accent. Tell you the truth. I thought to myself, that's what I want to be when I grow up. A, a cool, smooth guy like that who drinks fancy cocktails and shoots bad people. Only the bad people. All right, Secretary Clinton, and I should say each candidate cannot hear the other's answers while the other candidate is answering. They're hearing my wife Sean's wonderful record. Secretary Clinton, Hmm. who was the best James Bond? Larry, I find it interesting that you put that question in the past tense. Of course, like you, I'm sure. I've loved all the James Bonds so far. I always... Kind of had a soft spot for George Lazenby, I guess, because I've spent my whole career fighting for the underdog. But to tell you the truth, Larry, mm. I think it's important to look to the future. And so my favorite James Bond is is going to be the next one and the one after that. All right, next question. This goes to Secretary Clinton first. Mr. Trump is getting to hear all of side one. And uh, Mrs. Clinton... Mm-hmm. Uh, Next question, enough about the actors. Let's talk about real people with regard to national security. Ethan Hunt or Matthew Bourne? I think Matthew Bourne, Larry, and I'll tell you why. I think he embodies what I think our foreign policy should be about. If there are two words to describe it that I won't have to regret in the next news cycle, (laughs) they'd be smart power. To me, he represents the kind of smart power that's never afraid to use deadly force, but that's never forced to use deadly fear. Yeah. It's almost as catchy as one of Sean's tunes. Mr. Trump, mm. Ethan Hunt, or Matthew Bourne? Larry, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I thought you were going to ask me, what is Aleppo? I think many people thought that's what you were going to ask me. And here's the thing. Mm. Aleppo is a total disaster. And frankly, and this is not a slam on anybody involved in those terrific films... I don't think either of those guys could solve that kind of disaster. I think you're very possibly, I I can't see you, but I think you you, you might be looking at the person who could solve it. But I didn't want to name him because people would say I'm being narcissistic, which I'm so very not. To tell you the truth, I'm probably the least narcissistic person in the world. And I think if you look into it, you'll find an awful lot of people who agree with me about that. You should have your people check it out. 
Okay, as soon as we get some people, we'll look into it. Last question, and on this one, we're going to leave show business totally out of it and get into the nitty-gritty of foreign affairs. Mr. Trump, Vladimir Putin, what do you think is his favorite summer fruit? You know, Larry, uh, unlike some people here tonight, I don't have to guess I was with Mr. Putin, who, by the way, I've still never met at a luncheon in Moscow when I was trying to build a hotel there. Thank God I didn't build it. It was such a bad deal. And I walked away from it, made a heck of a lot of money by doing that. But at that luncheon, I saw Mr. Putin ask in the strongest possible terms for a green-fleshed melon, and somebody brought him an orange-fleshed melon. And that person, I was told later, was out of a job like that. And that's what I call a strong leader. So green-fleshed melon, Larry. Believe me. Mrs. Clinton, you may have... Blissed out the Sean singing, just getting back to reality here. Vladimir Putin, in your opinion, what's his favorite summer fruit? Larry, when I was younger, and so much happened when I was younger now, <laughs> but something that was really ugly and repellent we used to describe as the pits. I think our friend Mr. Putin has done some very ugly and repellent things. So I'd have to say one of the fruits with pits. So that would be, uh, what? Well, that, that would be the peach, the plum, the apricot. I think one of those would have to be the summer fruit of choice for a man of Mr. Putin's temperament. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Mr. Trump were sending him a big box of them right now, whichever fruit it is. All right. We've been keeping this forum really on the issues and not personal attacks. I want to thank both of you and congratulate you both for keeping this discussion high class, high level. America faces a faithful choice this November. Hopefully tonight we've all learned a lot. And hopefully our two candidates for the highest office of the land now share at least one thing. Love for my wife's record from the George H.W. Bush Auditorium in Langley, Virginia. Good night. Portions of this program not dealing with non-substantive issues have been redacted. The issue of Donald Trump's so-called university dogged him through most of this year. The uh, one of the, a couple of the lawsuits were coming to trial in San Diego, and uh, as you recall, Donald Trump criticized the judge in that case as uh, being hopelessly biased because he was Mexican when in fact he was born in Indiana, not as far as we know a province of Mexico. The case was settled shortly after Donald Trump was elected president for, uh, I think, about $25 million. And uh, the folks who felt defrauded by the so-called university, which, of course, granted no degrees and had no professors, uh, got uh, a little money and a copy of the non-existent alma mater. Strive to pay.
Meanwhile, on the other side of the campaign, an increasingly confident Hillary Clinton, who had revealed earlier in the uh, spring in a debate with Bernie Sanders that one of her foreign policy mentors was Henry Kissinger, spent the month of August fundraising and relaxing while Trump was having more of his rallies. Relaxing. Clinton something, the campaign years. Hmm. You know, we've been up to the vineyard so many times, mm. but huh, I never knew how beautiful it was up here in Maine. Mm. It's gorgeous. I mean, George H.W. Bush may have been myopic about many things, but the seashore was not one of them. <laughs> That's one of the things I really love about knowing you personally, Henry. Yeah. People who only know the public you never get to experience the gift of your wit. Uh, Madam Secretary, as you know, when dealing with the Chinese, wit is not a gift, it's a weapon. <laughs> but I do appreciate what you said. It reminds me of the flattery I used to heap on Nixon. Some of that was true. Well, I appreciate you giving me some of your time, Henry. Uh, one of the benefits of staying just close enough to the Bush family is the opportunity to avail myself and Nancy of their hospitality whenever they're not here. <laughs> Maybe that's the best way to enjoy their hospitality. <laughs> 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 oh, but, you know, as it becomes more and more apparent that our friend Mr. Trump is going to implode like an old Vegas casino, I feel like I'm getting closer to what I think you once called nut-cracking time. Uh, the phrase was not my own, but it was nut-cutting time. Ah, well... I still have so much to learn. And since it's just going to get more hectic from now through November, I, I thought this might be a good time to, uh, I don't know, get a mentoring touch-up, I guess you'd say. Uh, if I may, Madam Secretary, <clears throat> I think your tough-mindedness about the nature of the breakdown in the global order speaks well of your assimilating your mentoring to date. Thanks. 
hasn't been easy. You know, better than anyone what a nest of diplo freaks the State Department can be. Well, I think you and I agree that the so-called soft power is about as productive an instrument of foreign policy as softcore pornography with results that don't even last as long. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wouldn't know about that. Trust me. At my age, even the hardest core material is lucky to produce the merest hint of... I, I meant, I think soft power does have a role to play, but but as... As a member of the course, certainly not as one of the featured soloists. Mm. That's why I admired your construct of smart power so much. The word smart affords such a salve to the egos of your fellow Democrats that they can easily distract themselves from the fact that... We're really talking about power, per se. (laughs) Well, that's why I took the opportunity while I was at State to get to know some of our senior generals, Mm -hmm. because they... That was very smart. (laughs) Was that supposed to be a salve to my ego? Oh, no, no, no. In this case, it it had the added advantage of being true. Thanks. Mm -hmm. So, as as you look around the world right now, Henry, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's very clear what our challenges are. Yes. What do you see as our opportunities? So, Turkey, mm-hmm. they have an Islamist authoritarian president who's in the process of crushing opposition and dissent. And now he's cozying up to the Russians. Of course, because he feels we haven't been supportive enough. But as far as I know, we still possess a covert apparatus sufficiently powerful to, over even a weekend, take him into custody and apply sufficient persuasive techniques, including some targeted pharmaceuticals to deprogram his Islamist cultishness. Uh, he shows up for work Monday morning, no worse for wear, with a much more dependable ally, and in return, we help him crush what's left of his opposition. Well, and of course, Congress doesn't need to have any role in that. Well, in fairness, they do have a role. Mm. Uh, ten years later, they can investigate it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with wit like yours, I'm beginning to feel sorry for the Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> now, Syria, this is a case where our proven competence at initiating and supporting assassinations of foreign leaders who may be in conflict with our interests mm-hmm. could well be revivified, although... It is ironic to use that verb in the context of assassination. (laughs) The Chinese will be fine. Now, of course, with any assassination, the immediate question arises. What happens next? Mm -hmm. So, there is a need to recruit and insert a suitable replacement president. Fortunately, an absolutely plausible candidate is at hand in the form of Assad's older brother, who is like him, an Alevite, but, unlike him, has no political background. An empty vessel, a clean slate. A useful idiot or savant. You could say that, (laughs) yes. Then, if that doesn't pacify the non-jihadist opposition, we help him crush them. That sends a message to the jihadists. Mm -hmm. Finally, Mm -hmm. most importantly... Mm -hmm. You find a way to keep the Afghanistan war from ending until after your re-election campaign. Because I'll be blamed for whatever happens after it ends? Of course. Even Nixon understood that after a while. 
cool. Listen, I, I don't want to monopolize your time at the shore. Th- that's okay. Nancy's off antiquing. Mm, but I, I do have to go in and take a shower. Mm, people often say that after talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you going to the lobster boil at 7? Uh, we would love to, but... Uh, Diet? No, I, I just hate seeing those living things suffer. Youthful angst and a middle-aged yearning to serve. Together they add up to Clinton something. The campaign years. And former British Prime Minister Tony Blair finished up the year by announcing that he was quitting his business of consulting with some of the um, major oligarchs of the world to concentrate on um, doing good in the world, trying to help bring Middle East peace, which he couldn't accomplish as Middle East peace envoy. 2016. The year in rebuke. We all come to a point in our lives when we realize it's time to give back. I'm Tony Blair, and I've come to that point, albeit slowly and hesitantly. But my time to cash out may be your opportunity to cash in. Hi, I'm still Tony Blair, and I've got the greatest business opportunity for you since air traffic control was privatized. How would you like to own your own mega high-level business consultancy? Hopping and nobbing with some of the world's least respected leaders. Sound like a dream way beyond the means or achievement of someone who watches and believes advertising? Well, don't you believe it, because now you can own a piece of one of the world's most successful business consultancies. Mine. That's right. Tony Blair Associates, a company I built on the firm foundation of my credibility, is now offering partnerships to a select group of hand-picked investors. And here's the best news. Your hands can do the picking. Imagine an office in the swankiest neighborhood in your town or city. A plaque on the door with the name of the consultancy consistently rated in the top 200 by Your Name Here magazine. And sitting at a desk inside the corner office, advising princes and dictators is none other than you or someone you choose to employ. It's all up to you. Obviously, an opportunity like this comes up perhaps once in a lifetime, if that often. And of course, other people are probably seeing this announcement at the same time you are, unless you're watching reruns of Everybody Loves Raymond. In any case, you don't want to let this chance to be a player in the high-stakes world of international business and finance just slip away. And the best news is, my name stays with the business, a name that opens doors everywhere except my home country. But I know what you're thinking. The cost of being one of Tony Blair's associates in Tony Blair Associates is a lot more than I can afford. Well, that's where I come in. You see, I'm through with money-making. I just want to help people like you help people like sheiks and presidents for life. We can arrange financing terms that make changing your life easier than buying a new car. On such a plan, you pay what you can afford, month by prestige-growing month. And I'll never bother you with collection statements, because I'll be too busy encouraging young people to play sports. So, my only question is, what are you waiting for? There's a limited number of associates' positions available, and your new future is as close as your telephone. 1-800-PRO-BONO is the number to call. And someone I've handpicked to work odd hours is waiting to hear from you. The sooner you make that call, the sooner you can start thinking up the valuable advice you'll be offering. So call now. 
Your future as a Tony Blair associate is waiting. And so am I. Let's wind up our review of the year in rebuke with uh, kind of a, a stunning surprise. You know, you may remember after the uh, 2008 financial Congress passed a bill providing a 70, $700 billion bailout to major banks. In a new study released this week, researchers from the London Business School and Tilburg University, not Trump University, crossed those votes with those lawmakers' financial holdings. They concluded members of the House of Representatives with a personal stake in bank stocks were far more likely to support the bailout than those who weren't invested in those institutions. Are you sitting down yet? That's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America by the shortwave giant. WBCQ, the planet, 7.49 megahertz shortwave. On the mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio in London, just voted Internet Radio Station of the Year. Congratulations. Around the world, well, on your cell, uh, your mobile, your, your smartphone, whatever you want to call it, the thing in your pocket. No, not the other. Via Stitcher.com and available as a free podcast. From Sideshow Network SoundCloud, TuneIn.com, iTunes, and WWNO.org. Did I say you're available around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archive, whenever you want it, HarryShare.com and KCSN.org? Yes, I think I just did. And it would be just like next week being war on Christmas Day. If you'd agree to join me then, would you already? Thank you very much, uh huh. Show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile. Still in exile. And Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program. No, it hasn't been hacked. And um, also your opportunity to get Cars I Talk t-shirts. Is it too late for Christmas? And also the playlist of music heard here on all at harryshare.com. It's never too late for me on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.